0: Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesley demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you.
1: I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you.
0: Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris.
1: What up? Welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris. I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. Today, we're talking a movie from 2004, an Or Whatever Movies favorite, Collateral.
0: Why are we discussing Collateral today?
1: Tom Cruise Renaissance?
0: Maybe. I mean, I don't know. He never really went anywhere.
1: Oh, we're celebrating Tom Cruise's Wolverine haircut.
0: (laughs) Sure. With a lot of dry shampoo in it. Or whatever made him have (laughs) white hair and white beard. Actually, was his beard white as well? That's pretty, that's dedication to makeup.
1: It was definitely salt and pepper. I don't know. You tell me. Why are we Why are we discussing Collateral?
0: I felt like this is a weird moment frozen in time that we're never going to see again. But we've talked about Tom Cruise, particularly for Top Gun Maverick this year and, and just his level of dedication. And, and this is him in a not a smaller role, definitely a Tom Cruise feely role. But this is a movie for some reason that I return to pretty often and is on and off streaming services all the time. And it felt like a good bonus episode because it takes place more or less in the time period that this episode will be released, uh, albeit at this point, 19 years ago.
1: Despite this being a 2004 movie and Little Things being a 2000 and what, 21 movie?
0: The Denzel Washington movie?
1: Yeah, yeah. They seem like they're from the same time period. Really? I mean they're definitely the same location and this not a love letter to LA but this kind of homage to LA underworld.
0: Yeah, Vincent hates LA.
1: LA, LA underworld at night. Yeah, what's he say? He wants to get out of there get the moment he gets here he can't wait to get out.
0: I wonder if the bad guy hates LA, does that speak to LA's like wondrous qualities?
1: <laughs> like it's not a bad thing that the bad dude loves LA cuz it's LA. happy and shiny. There are some similarities. Collateral has some similarities with our recent bonus episode, Die Hard, with this kind of fish out of water. I guess in this case, it's a bad guy. But in the case of Die Hard was a good guy. Fish out of water in L.A. with just kind of this veneer of disdain for the city. And then um, bodies falling on cars.
0: (laughs) Good call. This one, of (laughs) course, being much more sprawling and outside all the time and coyotes and stuff.
1: That's true. What were the coyotes all about?
0: So I was really hoping because I think when you see Collateral everyone who's seen Collateral remembers the basic premise but if you think of a scene that sticks out it's maybe the coyote scene and I'm not sure why it's a scene that Tom Cruise said he loved when he read the script and I was like oh it was scripted because in my mind I kind of hoped that they were doing these rigorous night shoots all through LA and stuff and then a coyote crossed their path or a couple of them and they were like get it get it And they they pulled focus really quickly. You know how I feel how uh, organic it feels, this weird like long zoom in the film. And I thought maybe that was a fortuitous moment that caused like a real stop down that led to a contemplative sort of Chris Cornell audio slave vibe. But it wasn't.
1: Oh, so you mean all of those South Central coyotes?
0: (laughs) Right. Exactly. Like the South Central deer (laughs) that he hit. But you find that everything is meticulous. And I don't think Michael Mann in his ultra like stranglehold directing, very dedicated and passionate and unrelenting. I don't even think he would have allowed rogue coyotes to run through his set.
1: So what does it mean?
0: It was well, in ancient legend or whatever, uh, if a coyote crosses your path, supposedly you're meant to stop and turn back. Because it means bad things. It's a harbinger of doom. And uh, should you move forward, you bad things will happen to you. Accidents, things like that. You could die. And kind of all those things happen.
1: Hmm. I kind of read into it like wildness or viciousness amongst us.
0: Right. Out of place. Fish out of water. Coyotes out of water.
1: Yeah, somehow. And they seemed particularly untamed or like like they were on the prowl on the hunt in the concrete jungle. But I was kind of perplexed as to what the filmmakers intended.
0: Yeah. I think it was the uh, symbolism of it. But not to say that it doesn't happen. There are coyotes around L.A. We know because a lot of celebrities lose their dogs and cats to coyotes. But the Sneak saw a freaking bear in Glendale. What? Yeah. Like a California black bear in Glendale. No Which is kind of more in the hills.
1: Kind of. Like you're right there at the base of the foothills. But not exactly
0: where Amy lives. But originally collateral, the screenplay at least, not set in L.A. at all. I don't know if there are coyotes in Manhattan, but that's where it was originally set. But Michael Mann, if nothing else, unless he's in the hills of like West Virginia or one of the Carolinas shooting Last of the Mohicans, is an L.A. dude. I mean, he was responsible. Actually, no. He was responsible for Miami Vice, but Heat, an L.A. crime saga, was definitely L.A.-based and equally sprawling, much broader cast. But uh, this is L.A., and this was shot entirely digitally and meant to have a look like an L.A. feel or whatever because it was shot almost completely at night and the digital at the time was best suited for that but it was definitely meant to be a vibe.
1: That this was originally set in Manhattan makes a ton of sense to me because it was almost shot like it was L.A. for New York yeah. because yeah I mean they really treat L.A. like the city most Angelinos don't Experience. I mean, we know that Los Angeles is a car town. You typically move from your car to your destination, back to your home. And yet this L.A. is an L.A. full of taxi cabs and public transportation, subways. Like, when was the last time you took a cab and or the the metro in L.A.?
0: The, the last time I made the mistake was leaving the airport because the Ubers always take forever to get into the airport, whereas the cabs are in a line. But, yeah, not mm. very often, for sure.
1: Cabs and, and public transportation transportation jazz clubs the thing that <laughs> probably most la scene was like the korean nightclub yeah in, in presumably k-town
0: yeah k-town is has its own kind of vibe it's almost a blade runnery kind of vibe with all the neon and the signs and things it definitely adds right. atmosphere but i wouldn't say that that atmosphere necessarily reeks of la like you don't see Koreatown and be like oh la i love that i mean i mean they're they're environs that are almost completely unique i mean he's he, they go everywhere in this movie
1: but it's like you're always seeing the skyline. I guess the maybe actually the most LA location or locations are the freeways, because there's a lot of freeway shots. There's a lot of driving going on, even if it is in a cab.
0: LA, nothing if not diverse,
1: and a very diverse cast and supporting cast. I think those are the big LA pieces.
0: Are you are you speaking specifically to race? Yeah. I mean that's LA. That that that's particularly representative of LA. I think.
1: I think so. Yeah. The L.A. melting pot, as they call it. And also the talent just keeps on coming. I know that, you know, being this being 19 years ago or whatever, all of these actors have had time to kind of come into their own in Hollywood. But the cast just keeps coming. Yep. Tom Cruise, obviously a mainstay, but Jamie Foxx basically before his big breakout roles as a dramatic actor. Right. But I mean,
0: Ray was in the can when he was promoting Collateral.
1: Oh, no way. When Mark Ruffalo showed up, I was like, why is he talking funny? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, seriously, is Mark Ruffalo going to keep up this shtick? You know, then he shows that he was an undercover cop. Javier Bardem in a surprising cameo, even though the I guess the role itself wasn't surprising. It was actually kind of sad. Typical typecasting for early aughts. Yeah. Who else shows up?
0: Uh, Jada Pinkett, obviously and then a really early uh, cameo by Jason Statham at the airport.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, before he became his own, an action star in his own right. He was in the
0: vibe. He was coming along, right? It was was happening, beginning to happen for him. But it was like one of these things where it just caught a lot of people in the early stages when they were up and coming and they were in a Tom Cruise movie and in a Michael Mann movie. But not necessarily, as you said, had come into their own at that point.
1: So Jason Statham works for... Felix, or he's part of Felix's cartel or drug enterprise presumably, right? Because it's Felix and co that hire Vincent.
0: Didn't see him through intermediaries and middlemen and all these things. And apparently there's this vast John Wick style network happening. Michael Mann is very meticulous in his planning. Everybody has a backstory. Everybody has a plan. Nothing is left to chance. And he talked about all the channels necessary that would allow Felix to work with Vincent on multiple occasions and never meet or interact on the phone or anything like that.
1: Right. Which gives Max his opportunity to impersonate Vincent and then come into his own in this movie. It's a little bit on the nose, the transformation, but the, trans- the transformation is so visceral. And it's kind of symbolized by him taking off his glasses and taking charge. Right. Even his body posture changes. like and, and for the rest of the movie, Max is a different person.
0: So Jamie Foxx is a mimic and he's a comedian. First, Kind of before he became like a serious quote unquote actor. And he is a high energy, very talented actor, a musician, a comedian, etc. And he, yeah, how do you how do how do I do this? And Michael Mann said, do it. Wouldn't it be great if you played it like nothing? If you were like completely unmemorable and dull. And then when the change <laughs> comes, which feels so Jamie Foxx, then it makes sense. But initially, it's just like, yes, no, you know, I don't really want to talk. And he plays it very low key so that there is some weight when he makes the the turn and has to be Vincent-like.
1: The Max character, kind of in an impossible situation, would you have done anything differently?
0: Max infuriates me. With his mild manneredness mm. and, and his Maxness. Like, I don't really love this character. I'm glad that he made it through and I'm glad he saved Annie and everything. But it's like, Annie, Annie, you gotta listen to me. Listen to me, Annie. He's on the floor. He's trying to kill you. And, you know, and he's like, kind of like, <laughs> he's he dead. He, he fell, on, fell in the car. And he's kind of like,
1: uh. poor Max
0: is all repressed, you know? And he doesn't really get his time to shine.
1: I love Annie's response, too. She was like, if this is a joke, it's not funny. This is an an odd time to call. Like, she's just, like, so disappointed that this man isn't who she thought
0: he was. She's professional, and she's refined, and he's, like, stuttering and stuff. And I think she was kind of uh, slumming when she gave the cab driver her card and was like, in case you want to argue cab routes, right? It was, like, nice Mm -hmm. and all because he was a sweetheart, but he's also a cab driver, and she's a high-profile lawyer. I wonder if Max missed his calling. If he in real life, he's like a Jamie Foxx type who can impersonate Vincent and like better tell him put his gun away before I take it away and beat his bitch ass to death with it, you know, like he, he could be that dude, but he ended up driving a cab.
1: Well, he probably, you know, he had a special relationship with his mom.
0: <laughs> right who uh what's contribute
1: have contributed to it
0: definitely a parent what you know just you can see his frustration and how he's like afraid to speak up you know and like muttering under his breath like we did when mom can't hear <laughs> us like i told you she's not gonna like the flowers i didn't buy them. he did
1: uh mom i told you not to do that what <laughs> what talk like i'm not here it feels very ta- real and then they both and then they both proceed to talk like he's not there
0: what is he saying? Oh man, poor Max. But that doesn't mean that I like that dude in particular. I also didn't like the mom because like, she's so momish. But they found that lady, Did... Ida, the, the lady who plays Ida, Max's mom, uh, through, you know, random channels or whatever. And it turns out she was from an area not too far from where Jamie Foxx grew up. And they knew a lot of the same people. So it definitely wow. felt like a real mother-son relationship.
1: Interesting. Do you think that Ida knew That something was off with um, Vincent, or do you think she was so thoroughly charmed by him?
0: I think she was charmed by him. They definitely played up that sort of sibling dynamic, like the good kid, bad kid, in mom's favor kind of thing. Mm. And expressing uh, her obvious affection and love for Max Even though she was a little bit heavy handed with her Like I tried to call so many times what, Why didn't you call me on the telephone? It, she's so annoyed with him but also proud of him Of course I'm proud of him While speaking to the, you know, the dashing stranger or whatever I use that word a lot, dashing But he kind of is Like Vin- Vincent is kind of a consummate gentleman type Who is like smooth and like sleek He's like a swiper, no swiping <laughs>
1: <laughs> swiper knows, swiper definitely has his his touching moments
0: yeah i guess and as does vincent
1: does vincent spare max out of some kind of like loyalty or 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 friendship or affection or does he simply do it because he needs a ride
0: I do think that he views Max and Max's mom and Max's life as a curiosity. Max doesn't strive for, well, he dreams about it, but he doesn't strive to achieve the levels of, of excellence and dedication that Vincent prides himself on. But in a weird way, I think he was fascinated by him and took to him and didn't want to kill him, even though that's kind of the default setting of his personality. I Hmm. I do think there was some twisted kinship as Vincent begins to unravel.
1: Hmm. I wonder about that. If that's the case, then it's not any farther than Max serves a purpose for Vincent. Like, I think what Detective Fanning, played by Mark Ruffalo, says is really important. The detail about the Northern California murders. Yeah, the other cab driver. The dramatic irony was that we knew that regardless of how Vincent might outwardly feel about max that max was going to suffer the same fate as the northern california cabbie
0: yeah no don't get me wrong i wouldn't call it go so far as to call it affection but you know you make little connections or whatever with uber drivers and stuff and you're like oh that was nice but i do think vincent saw the utility in max of being able to get the new information the the information back from felix right all his dossiers and and murder profiles Mm -hmm. Not sure that he could do it. I don't think he had confidence that he could do it. He's like, I'm amazed you got out of there with your head on your shoulders or whatever. It seems obvious to me what a Tom Cruise movie this is, because the dude is unparalleled in his excellence of approach to anything he attempts to do. Like his gunplay and his handling and stuff, because he trained for three months with live ammunition. And now they use like instructors will use clips from this movie as as for as forms for technique. Really, yeah, you can see it on screen. It's apparent how much he trained and how careful his, his all his physicality was in this movie, don't you think?
1: Two to the sternum, one to the head
0: right and and you watch it in an unbroken cut and you're like, that dude is really fast <laughs> like if I were if they were sending me into a room and they're like, okay, you gotta fight to the death. it's Mike Tyson or Tom Cruise, I would absolutely choose Mike Tyson. Maybe he gets into a boxing mindset and I can break the rules and go for the eyes or the throat of the nuts or something. Tom Cruise would kill me.
1: <laughs> and he's not more lethal than he is in the K-Town club scene. And yet, talk about collateral. Did that scene have to get quite so messy? I mean that's all out pandemonium. Yeah,
0: yeah, with crowds and stuff. And still laser focused, not concerned about the crowd stuff. I think he eats it cuz he bumps into a party goer at one point, but uh, then he like <laughs> shoots from the ground. But it's all controlled in 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 Vincent's mind. He sees the target, he draws on the target and kills the target. And it wasn't don't make it like Tom Cruise, it wasn't about being fast or about looking great on screen, although he is and it does. He, you can see the pause where he takes that last beat, uh, gets his aim perfectly right, and shoots the dude between the eyes to seal the deal. Like it's really about efficiency.
1: Efficiency with the ton of collateral damage. I mean, goons are going down by the dozens, cops too, like screaming club goers. It's a, it gets a little insane.
0: But I, I mean, as as good as Vincent knows he is at his job, he does adapt or whatever, as long as he keeps his focus. But the idea of keeping Max, this unquantifiable element, like you bring someone along with your murders all night long. How is that not going to go wrong? You know, I guess you kill him at the end and it's all tidy. But, you know, he he might have been better off driving himself and double parking and shooting people or shooting Max and taking the cab in the first place.
1: It does seem like a extra unnecessary liability to hire an unknown. Like maybe for one hit, right? And then you get back to the airport or whatever. But five, that's a lot of <laughs> yeah, exposure to <laughs> risk. Especially
0: when uh, the cabbie becomes aware after the first hit when it lands on his car.
1: Right, exactly. And that seemed really, that seemed extra stop, sloppy. He could have gotten a couple hits done under the radar and then saved all of the, the max drama and resistance for later on in the shift.
0: Maybe... This is just Vincent, a flawed person looking for acceptance and a friend.
1: You think that Vincent... You think that Vincent did it on purpose just to be have a dramatic way to reveal to his friend the exact nature of him?
0: How much smarter he is, how much more he knows than the jazz guy. Shoots him three times in the head, stands up and catches his chin before his head hits the floor. He could have avoided shooting the dude, Ramon Ayala or whatever, out the window onto the taxi cab. Right? Nope. Vincent wants Max to accept him and wants to be loved. I mean it's way more a bromance than it is a romance between Max and Annie, right?
1: I mean, I guess they're getting to know each other and they're finding the way that they do fit.
0: You just don't understand how dudes do.
1: I definitely <laughs> you're right. I don't see this as a bromance. <laughs> and they play it so kind of chaste and grounded that the romance, if any, between Annie and Max is 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 chaste.
0: So, question about about these characters uh Going back to what you said, what I said earlier about this being like a thing that's never going to happen again. Do you think Mm. that the characters' personal lives, the actors, bleeds into performance at
1: all? Is this a Tom
0: Cruise crazy question? This well, uh, yeah, because Tom Cruise is the bonkers Scientologist, but that doesn't typically, I don't think, bleed through in his movies. He's very careful about that ever since the Oprah couch jumping incident. But you know, this is Jamie Foxx, a little bit restrained, and and I was sh- like shocked to find the intricacies and interconnectedness of these people behind the scenes. It's almost like a disparate kind of uh, inverted brat pack, rat pack. Kind of thing, like how see, are these
1: characters in- interconnected? Okay, follow me actors?
0: Th- along this journey of time and through time and love. Jamie Fox worked with Michael Mann on Ali, the Will Smith movie, and that was a very different, much kind of flashier role for Jamie Fox, and one that really got him noticed before this happened. And, and so, before Collateral, two thousand one, Tom Cruise made Vanilla Sky with Penelope Cruz. No, no relation. Spelled differently. But then they broke up and Penelope Cruz married Javier Bardem, who worked with Tom Cruise on Collateral and then was with Tom Cruise as part of what was going to be the shared universal dark universe when Tom Cruise was in The Mummy and Javier Bardem was set to play Frankenstein before all that fell apart. And supposedly, he and Tom Cruise, despite Tom Cruise being the ex of his now wife, remain good friends. And on the set of Collateral, Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx crazy bonded, like bros. Like, Tom Cruise got him a piñata full of sour Skittles on his birthday, and they, like, talked and chatted and were bros. And uh, Tom Cruise, they were both single fathers at the time. Their kids played and stuff. He had split up from Nicole Kidman. And then Tom Cruise dates... Katie Holmes and is married to her and has a daughter and then they break up and then Jamie Foxx gets involved with Katie Holmes and was for like six years or something like a long time and so I don't think they're bros anymore and of course for Michael Mann after Will Smith then Jada Pinkett Smith is in his next movie and there's this weird interconnectedness that kind of blows my mind maybe it's like a Hollywood is a very small town kind of vibe but it seems like an unnecessary amount of all these people boning each other's significant others at one point or another.
1: <laughs> Hollywood, especially at this level, is a small town. And also 19, almost 20 years is a, is a long time in Hollywood relationships. I guess so. I did not make the Penelope Cruz connection. And that does kind of weird me out. His kind of possessiveness of Pen- Penelope Cruz. But I kind of forgot about that relationship. <laughs> I mean, back to the original question, why are we talking about Collateral, and what does this movie mean
0: to you? It's one of those movies that I'm not sure that everyone saw. It doesn't have the high profile of most Tom Cruise movies, I don't think. I think the digital filmmaking definitely gave it a look, but it didn't make it very cinematically appealing. It's kind of a dark movie, like you said, very gray, a little bit somber. You know, it's pretty contained in the cab uh, and then there are some there are cityscapes and stuff and, and the train. But other than that, it's like speed, you know, it's like all contained in the one vehicle and then inexplicably it switches to the train for the end. Uh, but it was along with the crazy amount of cast that shows up, it seems like a movie that was a little bit under the radar and one that stands out to me as a clear Tom Cruise uh, sort of embracing excellence and, and and dedication to training and stuff like that uh, movie that I think about and watch. Kind of a lot. Like, I'm vaguely disappointed when Collateral's not on streaming services for a while. (laughs) I had recommended it before, and then it popped back up, and I was like, we should do it. And then you were amenable to the idea, maybe because you just saw Heat. And I was like, it is time. It seemed like there was stuff to talk about in this movie, for this movie. The best kind of bonus episode, in my humble opinion. Yeah. Feels like it should have been a big movie. Wasn't really but it's definitely one worth talking about because I've seen it so much.
1: Yeah, I think in this era of big budget action movie sequels, I think that this, I'm not sure if at the time it did, but this, it kind of defies genre because it is a drama mixed with a thriller. There's a lot of action and thrilling set pieces and yet always punctuated by these very contained character-driven moments that are that take place primarily in the cab. And so maybe that's um, why it, it fell through the cracks, which is kind of ridiculous to say, considering this was a successful movie in terms of box office, and I assume continued to be in, in uh, home video. And I guess I haven't um, really considered Michael Mann's body of work, but if you want to talk about Michael Mann's work in any serious way, you have to consider collateral.
0: I agree. And I think a lot of the participants, a lot of the heavy hitters that showed up, even if they weren't quite on all of them on our radar at the time, knew that. They can see uh, who he is as a filmmaker, what he brings and what they can bring to the screen through his characters. I think that he's respected in that way by actors and performers, and they will show up for him because of the strong material he puts out.
1: So a must-see Michael Mann movie, but a a must-see movie in general?
0: I mean, I like this movie. Uh, I recommended it, you know, to a number of people, but it's not, I I don't know. I would give it an all right rating for sure. Like a strong personal all right for me. But if someone was like, where do I start with Michael Mann? I I would say Last of the Mohicans and Heat. But this feels somehow quietly special to me. And for that reason, I'll give it an all right rating.
1: And I will join you with a good, and that's our discussion on Collateral. 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. Wes, did you enjoy this episode?
0: I, I mean, I like Collateral. I like talking about Collateral. And that's the point, is finding movies that I'm excited to talk about, and you're generally receptive to those movies. Sometimes we completely disagree. But it seems like the skill and the talent involved in Collateral was evident.
1: And to our generous listeners, did you enjoy this episode? If so, like, follow, and subscribe to Or Whatever Movies, please. Go into your app, give us a five-star rating. Not only does it make us feel great, but it helps other listeners to find us. Check out our other Tom Cruise and Michael Mann episodes at orwhatevermovies.com, where there are over 200 reviews and discussions to listen to. Thank you for listening to this one on Collateral, available on Paramount+. And we'll see you next time.
0: Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, I got this my name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big On
1: this show, we come to humanize
0: athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric
1: acid. Electric, acid. Electric acid. Cast.